Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070, 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. And while you're there at GoForItGant, you give me a follow at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Also, you can hit us up in the chat room here at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. Hit us up, chat it up, have a good old time, talk sports, have fun doing it. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Super Agent Lee Steinberg and Lee has a new book out, an interesting book and a lot of great stories. His book titled The Agent, My 40-Year Career Making Deals and Changing the Game. So we're going to talk to Lee about his new book that is out, talk to him about a, a prominent story that was talked about and bantered about throughout the course of the week with the 1988, 1998 draft between Ryan Leith and, and Peyton Manning where uh, essentially he kind of steered Ryan Leith towards the Chargers instead of the Colts. we'll talk to Lee about all those things. Also expected to be joined by one of the stars of Cinemax hit show Banshee, Demetrius Gross. And Demetrius, he's going to talk about the hit show Banshee. Also is going to give his thoughts on the upcoming Super Bowl, his thoughts on what happened this week, last week, I should say, in the championship games. So we're going to get Demetrius Gross's thoughts on that. Also, Hall of Famer Willie Burrow will stop on by. We're going to get his thoughts now on Richard Sherman, his thoughts now on, on the upcoming Super Bowl and, and what transpired the past week in the NFC title game. A lot of great things to get to today, and I'm going to get to Richard Sherman. I'm going to get to Mello, Carmelo Anthony, his big 62-point explosion last night at Madison Square Garden for the Knicks. Talk about... Paid man, talk about Wes Welker and that whole situation with Aqib Tlaib. Also going to talk about Josh Brent from the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to give you my thoughts on that. Josh Brent, as you know, sentenced to 180 days in prison, uh, 10 years probation for his role as he was uh, driving drunk and uh, got into a car accident and ultimately killed his teammate and one of his best friends, Jerry Brown. So we're going to talk to that, talk about that as well. But I got to start. With Richard Sherman, um, and and that whole situation, and and, and that was a, a a big talk throughout the course of this week at the wall at the water cooler, and everywhere you turned, they were talking Richard Sherman, and I, I'm going to get to that, and, and I'm going to start here. You look at the play that Richard Sherman made. That was an incredible play, a heck of a play, and it was a game clinching type of play. It was the type. It was the play that essentially sent his team to the Super Bowl. Not essentially. It was the play that sent his team to the Super Bowl. 
So Richard Sherman made a big-time play. He's hype. He's emotional. He's on cloud nine right now. But, you know, as you watch Richard Sherman, and I saw the NFL Films video of it, Richard Sherman, and he was mic'd up, Crabtree mic'd up as well. So Richard Sherman, after a play, walked up to Crabtree, slapped him on the butt, said a heck of a game, and tried to shake his hand. And initially, my initial thought as I was watching the game and I saw Sherman go up to Crabtree, my initial thought was maybe Sherman was trying to rub it in on Crabtree a little bit. Maybe that was going to, maybe that's what Sherman was doing. But as I heard the audio, I thought differently. When I heard the audio, I said, okay, he seemed genuine and, and wanting to congratulate uh, Michael Crabtree and talk to him about how heck of a, you know, how great of a game it was because it was a great football game. I mean, that was an incredible football game. That was a compelling football game, and it was what we expected. Two teams, two teams who played each other twice in the season, played each other for the third time, Two teams now who don't like each other. Two teams that are very physical teams. Two very physical football teams. So we saw two very physical football teams there. And they went out and they battled for 60 minutes. Battled for three hours. And they battled. And it was an incredible and emotional football game. I mean, look at it. Gore, I think Frank Gore broke his, what was it, broke his pinky finger. You know, the guard broke his, his, his fibula. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, you, you have uh, uh, Bowman, obviously, with the ACL and the MCL injury. So, I mean, it was a battle. It was a war of attrition out there. It was a battle. Two evenly matched football teams battling, going at it for an opportunity to play in the biggest football game that's out there, which is the Super Bowl. So it was a tough game. It was a beautiful game. And those teams went at it. And Crabtree and, and Richard Sherman went at it throughout the course of that football game. And Richard Sherman made, it, made a heck of a play, a heck of a play. That was a great play. And give the linebacker credit for hustling down there, ultimately getting the interception. Another heck of a play. But it was a heck of a play all around by everybody involved. Great play. And when it was over, Richard Sherman took to the mic. Aaron Andrews, Fox Sports, took to the mic. Richard Sherman said, you know what? Call Crabtree a mediocre receiver. We heard the clip many, many times. And I look at it, and first of all, what do you expect? And, and Richard Sherman was hype. He was emotional. He was on cloud nine. But what do you expect uh, from a guy who's playing a big-time physical football game, uh, a guy who now is going to the Super Bowl, a guy who made arguably the biggest play of his career at this point uh, of his career, and, and might be the biggest play ever he'll make. Who knows what the future holds. But, I mean, he made the play that put his team in the Super Bowl. How do you expect him to be? You expect him to be composed? You, you, you expect him to be relaxed. No, you expect him to be emotional, and you expect him to be hype, and you expect him to be on cloud nine, and that's what he was. And he was young, a lot of young. He, that's all he did in that interview was yell. But I look at that interview, and, I'm, and, and everybody's making a big deal about it, 
and you know he he's on Twitter and and fans are saying racist things towards him on Twitter, and I'm trying to figure out how Richard Sherman, Colin Crabtree, a mediocre receiver. You know, obviously, maybe it's not the time to say all that, but that's who Richard Sherman is. That's the emotional guy he is. That's the type of player he is, and I think he he feeds on playing on the edge. That's the type of player he is. That's what you get when you get when we have a Richard Sherman. He loves to talk. He loves to talk. Could he have been a little more humble? Sure, maybe. But let's let's be clear about something. Richard Sherman did walk up to Michael Crabtree to shake his hand. Crabtree slapped his head away. And, and in doing so, at that point, Richard Sherman said, you know, he, he was angry from that. And at that point, he put up the choke sign to the, to the 49er bench. And, and he, was just on, he was just emotional. He was upset. He was agitated. As he should be, because I thought, again, him going up to Crabtree, again, initially I thought it was, it was him trying to taunt him a little bit. But as I heard the audio, because they, they were both mic'd up, as I heard the audio, I thought differently. I, I thought differently about the whole thing. But anyway, we, we, we get to the racist tweets and, and directed towards Richard Sherman and, you know, people calling him a thug, this, that, and what have you. And, and, and I'm saying to myself at, at that point in time, I mean, you know, when did this become a race issue? Why, why, why had race had nothing to do with that? It had nothing to do with race whatsoever, but i got to be clear about something. This is America, and unfortunately in America, race always finds a way to creep into the argument and anything that we talk about. It just happens to always find a way to get there. It always finds a way to get to race. But anyway, and the media loves to play on race because it, 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 it's, you have tension. And, you know, what, what, tension is what sells. Why, that's why reality TV sells. Why does reality TV sell? Because we, we, we put together people together in an environment, and we try to create tension, and ultimately tension happens, and, and stuff happens, conflict happens, and things of that nature happen. You know, and guys fight, things of that nature on reality TV. But that's what compels us and, and draws us to reality TV. That's what makes reality TV fun. That's what makes reality TV exciting. That's what makes reality TV interesting. And sports is the ultimate reality TV. But anyway, this really had nothing to do with race, but it found a way to get to race. I think <clears throat> I looked at Aaron Andrews' interview. I looked at Ed Waters' interview from ESPN, and there was a difference. I, I thought Aaron Andrews, for whatever reason, seemed scared. I, I, I thought she seemed a little taken aback. Conversely, when I, when I looked at Ed Water of ESPN in his interview with Richard Sherman after the game, he, he was more playful with it. And, and Sherman said pretty much the same type of things in, in terms of calling Crabtree a mediocre receiver and things of that nature. Um, Ed Water was playful with it. Ed, Ed Water seemed to roll with it a little better than Aaron Andrews. And I think that also played a role in it. I really do. I think it played a role in how this whole thing was perceived because Aaron Andrews, and I'm not saying she was scared. I'm saying just her body language. I'm saying the way she, she talked, she seemed scared. And, and, and I thought that in some respect, you know, and you got to look at Richard Sherman. You got to look at him. You got a beard, got the dreads. 
you know, black man, let's be honest, perception that's out there, the stereotypes, you see that type of guy with dreads and, 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 and beard, and, and he's yelling, perceptions and stereotypes start to come into play. But I look at, you got to look at Richard Sherman and what he is and who he truly is. He's an articulate guy. He, he's a guy that's an ultimate success story, made it out of Compton and made it, to, made it to Stanford, ultimately got a degree from Stanford, and there are not too many people out here who can get a degree from Stanford. Heck, there's, there's not too many people out here that can get a degree, period. So Richard Sherman has a degree, an intelligent guy, and he's being called a thug. He's being called all these different type of names on Twitter, so on and so forth. And uh, and it's just this story at the end of the day is really much to do about nothing. I mean, it 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 really is much to do about nothing. And, I mean, Richard Sherman was emotional. He apologized. I mean, but what do you expect him to be? He just made one of the biggest plays of his life. And then people, here's the funny thing: people want everybody to be honest. You know, they, 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 it's compelling television. It's riveting television. People want to see it, but then when they see it, they're so quick to criticize it. They're, they're, they're so saying, oh, you should have been this. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, this, that, and what have you. It was compelling television. And I thought Fox got out of it a little too fast. I wanted to see it more. Because it's a rarity sometimes when, when you get that level of honesty. In team sports, you get into, you'll get into some like a box in boxing or in mixed martial arts. You'll get that type of candor, that type of honesty, guaranteeing victories, things of that nature. You don't get that more often than not in football and baseball and basketball and team sports. You don't get that. So when you get it, to me, it's exciting, it's riveting, it makes for great television. And it was great television. Richard Sherman and what he did was great television. And, you know, we want people to be honest. And then when they're honest, we criticize them. It's a double standard. You can't have both. You either want honesty, you either want candor, or you want just the standard answers. I mean, Richard Sherman could have easily said, oh, Aaron Andrews said, well, take us through that play. He could have just took us through the play. Oh, I, I was on Crabtree 101. I, you know, I saw the ball coming, uh, and I decided, well, I couldn't intercept it, so I, let me see if I can tip it away. That's what you wanted for Richard Sherman? Did that, is that what you wanted? Or did you want what we saw, a guy yelling, screaming, excited, Honest, candid. That's what I wanted. That, that, that's what I like. I, I mean, anytime you interview somebody, you always want them to be as honest as possible. Because you, you're not going to get it all the time in sports. It's reality. And Richard Sherman gave us what we wanted, and we had a problem with it. He gave us exactly what we wanted. And now we all have a problem with it. 
And I don't know, you know, it could be an old school, new school thing. It could be a race thing. I mean, but at the end of the day, let's not, I mean, I've seen thugs. Richard Sherman is not a thug. You know, sometimes, you know, people watch too much television, watch too much BET, watch too many movies, and and, and they, they start to make assumptions about people, which become unfair. You know what I mean? Like, not all, I mean, African Americans are different. Not all African Americans like rap. I mean, it's just not all, you know, not all Asians are smart. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you, you got all these different stereotypes that are out here about people, and they're far from the truth. Not all African Americans are, are, are gangbangers or locked up. I mean, you, you watch. Not all African-Americans rap, dance. You know, not all African-Americans can play basketball. I mean, we, we you know, and it's, I think sometimes people watch too much TV and don't get a true sense of what people are. It's an old saying. It's an old adage. You can't judge a book by its cover. And... More often than not in this, in this world, this country that we live in, we tend to judge the book by the cover. But you've got to peel back the layers. You've you got to peel back the layers of the onion. And you've got to get inside the man. And, and Richard Sherman, this is his MO. He, he's always been braggadocious. He's always been loud. He's always been honest. He's never hit, never hid his feelings. He's always played with that chip on his shoulder. At the end of the day, if that makes him a big-time player, if that makes him a pro bowler, an all-pro, if that makes him the big-time playmaker that he is, then continue on, Richard. Do what you do to make you successful. Do what you do to help. The, do what you do. If that makes you successful, do what you do. Do you, as they like to say. But, I, I mean, I just think all in all, <clears throat> this story is much to do about nothing. Much to do about absolutely nothing. Later in the show, I'm going to get to, and I'm going to say, and Richard Sherman brought up an interesting point, and I'm going to talk about that later in the show, is thug, the word thug, the new N-word. Is that code for N-word? I'll tell you my thoughts on that later in the show. I want to switch to basketball now. Carmelo Anthony last night was on fire. I mean, Melo was on fire last night. 62 points of Knicks record. 23 for 35 from the field. 23 for 35 from the field. I mean, Melo was on fire. He was scorching hot last night. 62 points for Carmelo Anthony. <clears throat> and the New York Knicks blow out the Grizzlies, 107 to 66. But here's the funny part. I mean, Melo went out with seven minutes to go in that game. The way he was flowing, the way he was flowing, 
Melo could have could have easily gotten seventy. I mean, he was flowing in that game. He was flowing like a river, flowing. And I said the wrong score is actually one twenty-five to ninety-six. Obviously, the game wasn't close, and when you have that type of situation, it, you, you, you know, you, you more often than not, you got to take the guy out. But the guy had 56 points after three quarters. And, oh, by the way, he had 13 rebounds. And, oh, by the way, you could tell how hot he was. He threw in a buzzer beater from half court. Half court. 62 and 13 for Mello. And again, he could have easily gotten 70 to 80 points in that game. Very easily could have gotten 70 to 80 points in that game. Easily. I mean, that was the type of flow he was in. He was in a flow. And and you see that with, with, with these type of scores. A Mello, a, a Durant. Um, a Kobe, even an Allen Iverson. These guys, you know, sometimes that 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 basket looks like an ocean, and then everything you throw up, it goes in. I mean, he was 13 from for 18 from the mid from mid range, so 13 for 18 shots, 72 percent. He had 13 out of 18 shots, 72 percent from mid range. Mid-range. Now, he scored 20 points in the first quarter. So very easily, who knows, if he would have kept going, he could have gotten, he could have gotten 70, at least, he could have gotten at least 70, possibly 80. And here's a great stat. No turnovers. No turnovers for Mello. No turnovers. None. I mean, that's an impressive stat. No turnovers. I mean, (laughs) as many touches as he's had, as many shots as he put up, 35 shots, making 23 of them, an incredible amount of touches, obviously. Even with all that, all that, he still had no turnovers. 57 offensive touches he had. Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven offensive touches, 62 big points, 10 for 10 from the free throw line, 13 rebounds. 23 for 35 from the field, 62 points, 57 offensive touches, and no turnovers. That's an impressive stat line. And that could have easily, this could have easily been a 70-point game. Oh, by the way, he had no assists. (laughs) And when you're flowing like that, you know what? No one else really shouldn't touch the ball. They had three other guys in double figures, barely in double figures. Well, Jerry Smith had 14, but Hardaway Jr. had 10, and Felton 
had 11. Look at the starting lineup for the Knicks. Look at the starting lineup for the Knicks. Melo had 62, but Tyson Chandler only had two points. Pablo Prigioni had, only had three. Amon Shumpert only had four, and Felton only had 11. And that was the starters. Melo was in, was in, was in a flow. He was in a, a flow. He was flowing. It, it was like a river for Melo. It, it was like a river. I mean, he was just flowing. And 62 big points for Carmelo Anthony. What a game last night. Oh, by the way, 13 rebounds. What a game last night. What an impressive performance. And you look at the Knicks. Could this be the type of performance that can spur the Knicks? Could, could this be the type of performance that takes this team to where many thought it would be? And, and that's a team that many, many thought this Knicks team would be a team that was, you know, I mean, you're probably not saying the Knicks were our champions. I mean, you're not saying the Knicks were a championship team. I don't think many thought they would beat the Miami Heat or could beat the Miami Heat in a seven-game series. But a lot of people thought the Knicks would be a much better basketball team. Could this be what what, what finally propels this team? And and the funny thing about the Knicks is, you know, they went on that four-game win streak there, and five-game win streak, I should say, and and they were in tech. They had some success in Texas as well. Um, beat the Spurs in Texas and, and beat the Mavericks in during you know during that track Texas triangle. But they you, you thought winning five in a row, six out of the last seven back in January at the beginning of January, you thought that turned the Knicks around. The Knicks were were on their way to to making a run, on their way to getting things right, and then. They go on a five-game lose. They proceed to lose five games in a row, lose at Charlotte, lose at it, get blown out by the Pacers, lose to the Clippers, get blown out on Martin Luther King Day by the Nets, and then they lose at home to the Philadelphia 76ers, which is a bad loss, a bad loss. And you're saying at this point, well, maybe the Knicks are falling back, and, and, and maybe they, they are who we thought they were. Maybe that's just who they are. I mean, they got to 15 and 22, and you thought the Knicks were on a rise. And then, as I said, they fall back a little bit after a five-game losing streak, and now you're saying the same old Knicks. What happens to Mike Woodson? Is it time to get rid of Mike Woodson? I mean, has the team is the team no longer listening to Mike Woodson? I mean, that was going through your mind at that point. What is you know is it done, or are they done? And Melo comes out and in an impressive performance puts up 62 big points. And in the next blowout, the Bobcats. Is that the thing that turns the season around? Could it be? Could it be the thing that, that turns, the thing, turns things around for the Knicks? I mean, let's look at their next three games. They, they should be able to go on. They could be able to go on a four-game win streak if they can win the next three Lakers at home. Lakers are not a very good basketball team. Celtics at home, and then the, the Cavaliers at home, and then you have the Heat also at home. So, and this was a Knicks team that you know had an eight-game homestand. They're in the midst of an eight-game homestand, and at this point, they're one and three in this eight-game homestand. So you got an eight-game homestand. You're at home. This is the time that you're supposed to make a little headway. This, this is the time now when you're starting to 
to kind of flex yourself a little bit, flex your muscles a little bit. And the thing is, with the Knicks, you can make up some room here, especially in the Eastern Conference. So you have these home games, and you lose to the Clippers, to the Nets, to the Philadelphia 76ers at home. And the way Brooklyn's playing, the way the Clippers are playing, I mean, those aren't awful losses. The way they, the way they lost, it could be, you know, a little question. But all in all, they're not awful losses. And the, but the loss to Philadelphia was bad. The loss to Philadelphia was bad. But, again, you have four more games at home, including the Miami Heat. You should win or have a great opportunity to win the next three against the Lakers, Celtics, and Cavaliers. Miami, obviously, is the Miami Heat, so not going to be an easy situation. But the Knicks, right now, can this propel the Knicks? I think the Knicks will make it to the playoffs, and that's not saying much in the Eastern Conference, but I think think they'll be able to muster up enough of of a win streak, and I think they'll be able to play good enough to get that final spot in the East. I'm not that eighth or seventh spot in the Eastern Conference, because currently they're two games behind the, the Charlotte Bobcats who right now are without the services of Kemba Walker. So, actually, I think Kemba Walker came back last night. So I'm going to check that. But they have an opportunity to to take advantage of the weak history conference. I'm wrong. Kemba Walker is still out. So I was right the first time. Kemba Walker is still out. So they're, they're out there without the services of Kemba Walker with the ankle. And and that's big, arguably their best player. So you're without Walker now. So the Bobcats are two ahead of the New York Knicks. The Knicks are two back to, uh, of the Bobcats. So the Knicks are a better basketball team, talent-wise, you could argue, than the Bobcats. Right now they're currently behind Cleveland and Detroit, and they're the 11th team. The Knicks are 11th seed right now in the Eastern Conference. And obviously if the playoffs were to start today, the Knicks would be on the outside looking in. But... I think the Knicks ultimately can make a run. I think the Knicks have enough talent to make a run. I think ultimately the Knicks have enough talent to get to the playoffs. Have enough talent to get to the playoffs. And with that being said, I think the Knicks will make the playoffs. Um, and, and, I, and I think at the end of the day, if you're – Indiana, Miami, the top two teams in the Eastern Conference, you probably don't want to see the Knicks in the playoffs. I'm not saying the Knicks are going to beat you. I'm not saying the Knicks have a a good shot of beating you. But I think the Knicks can scare you. I think the Knicks can stretch you. And quite frankly, I think if you're one of those top seeds, you don't want to play the Brooklyn Nets either, a team that's been playing some great basketball of late, playing some big-time basketball of late, including – Beating the Dallas Mavericks last night. I mean, this Knicks team is. I mean, this uh, Nets team is playing like the team we thought they would play like. I mean, we, they're they're playing like the contender that we thought they would be when the season started. I mean, and you look at the start of January and some of the victories they've had, some impressive victories. I mean, at Oklahoma City, beating OKC at OKC. I mean, beating Golden State, and this was a Golden State team at the time that was 
having a lot of success on the road, 6-0 and on their road trip, and they were having a lot of success on the road. So you're able to beat them as well. So a lot of great things going on with the Brooklyn Nets, and we'll see what will happen with the Brooklyn Nets, and we'll see if the Brooklyn Nets can make a run and, and be competitive in the playoffs. I think they can. Not sure to, not saying they'll win around, but I'm saying they will be competitive. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a guy, a guy who has seen a lot of money and whose owners have shown a lot of money, too. When we come back, we're going to be joined by super agent Lee Steinberg. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... I just don't see anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. You're listening to Go For Block Talk Radio.com. We're about to bring in a guy now. Uh, done a lot of great things as an agent throughout the course of his career. Has a great new book out. The title, The Agent, My 40-Year Career, Making Deals and Changing the Game. Let's bring him in now. Super agent, the one, the only, Lee Steinberg. Lee, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I, I just escaped the uh, polar vortex, and I'm back in Newport <laughs> Beach. Lucky you. Lucky you. I'm still in the midst of the polar <laughs> vortex. Let, let, let me tell you, when you're from California, and it was 80 degrees when uh, I left, and I'm walking around New York, and it's 8 degrees, and there's snow and all the rest of it. I, I, I swear, our, our, we may be wimps, but uh, I wasn't feeling it. You're not going to stick around for the Super Bowl? No, I come back. I come back. I'm not out on book tour, but, but we'll be back Tuesday because on Saturday we throw my 26th annual Super Bowl party, and okay. uh, 3,000 of my closest friends will be in attendance. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Lee, you have the book out, The Agent, My 40-Year Career, Making Deals and Changing the Game. What made you write this book? Um, I felt like that the philosophy that we embodied all the way since I signed Steve Bartkowski back in 1975, who was the very first pick in the first round of the draft with the Atlanta Falcons, the concept of the role modeling, which, which we asked players to do, set up a high school scholarship fund, uh, go back to the college like Edger and James did at Miami or Troy Aikman at UCLA or Warren Moon at Washington, set up a, uh, a funded endowment. And then at the Pro City to find something 
that they would like to tackle and put together a foundation that had the leading business people, the leading um, uh, uh, community leaders, political figures, all on a board to help a program like Work Dunn's Homes for the Holidays, where he's moved 131 uh, women into the first uh, homes that they will ever own and made the down payment, and then Home Depot outfits it. Um, so I went through a long arc of 60 first-round draft picks, the very first pick in the draft in football eight times, half the starting quarterback, seven players in the Hall of Fame. We had a big baseball practice, big basketball. Um, had worked with Lennox Lewis and uh, Oscar De La Hoya. And then in the 2000s, the wheels fell off. And my dad died of cancer. My kids were uh, diagnosed with an incurable eye disease. The, we lost a home to flooding. And then I got divorced, and, and I turned to alcohol. And uh, in 2007, 8, and 9, sort of spun down. In 2010, um, I made the decision to go into sober living, put sobriety first, work a 12-step program, um, and be a good father. And here we are four years later, and I'm relaunching our new business in, in representation, marketing, and content supply, sports, theme, motion pictures, television, video games, the rest. And there are issues uh, that I care a lot about, Paul, including the specter of concussion, which mm-hmm. I've held six uh, conferences on, because I now believe that when an offensive lineman hits a defensive lineman on every play, it produces a low-level sub-concussive event. So wow. we could see an offensive lineman coming out of football after high school pros and the rest of it who had done um, 10,000 10, sub-concussive hits, none of which had been diagnosed, the aggregate of which... Um, is much more impactful in terms of brain damage than having uh, three knockout blows. So it's sort of an existential threat to football, which needs to be addressed. Now, and speaking of the whole concussion thing, we we had it now where we thought that the whole lawsuit was settled, the $765 million lawsuit, we thought that was settled. Now Judge Brody has rejected that at this point. In your opinion, the $765 million, is it enough? Oh, my goodness, Paul. It's like dropping a little thing of uh, water into the ocean. This problem <laughs> is so massive. With the bigger, stronger, faster athletes who are um, have a G-force that's unbelievable, The it's just beginning to manifest because it, it takes them a while. But when I had Steve Young and Troy Aikman, we go to doctors, they couldn't give us answers. Um, and then the league did its own studies and realized there was a concussion problem, yet Elliot Pillman, the league doctor, was out saying, oh, there's no such thing as concussion syndrome, all the rest of it. So the players didn't know. And the numbers are going to be massive. Why I call it an existential threat to football is let's suppose that 50% of mothers are aware of this and tell their kids you can play any sport except tackle football. It won't kill football. It's just the socioeconomics of it will change, so the same people will play it that box. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's why I've pushed helmetry really hard. There's a new... All the current helmets do is protect against skull fracture. And there's a 
uh, new uh, thing called Tate Technologies that has a coil system in it that attenuates the energy and dissipates the energy. That could be helpful. Teaching kids not to block with the crown of the helmet or tackle is helpful. Um, Having better diagnostic techniques on the sidelines so you can take a player out of... um, of um, uh, that that has a subconcussive hit and judge it, and then nutraceutical and pharmaceutical solutions that either protect the brain or uh, can heal it once it's done. But we need to move on these things urgently. Right. And one of the stories coming from your book, The Agent, My 40-Year Career, Making, De- Making Deals and Changing the Game, was the story of the 1998 draft with Ryan Leaf and, and Peyton Manning in your book, you talk about how you kind of steered Ryan Leaf away from the Colts into the Chargers. Take us through that story. See, it actually doesn't say that at all. And uh, this okay. is all occasioned by a um, former general manager who has never liked agents, always been against them, and somehow he picked that out. So let's agree that the NFL draft was not handed down by God to Moses on Mount Sinai, that it's not part of the U.S. Constitution. It's a control system that says, gee, Paul, you want to work in radio? Your rights have been taken by, the, by a station in Nome, Alaska. Now you can choose another profession, but if you want to do what you're, you only have that one choice. So I've got no problem with an athlete asserting himself I didn't tell Ryan Leaf uh, to to do that. He felt so passionate about things. If you read the book, I said I recommend. I don't right. recommend it. So the point is that um, uh, it's not as unwieldy when a player does those things prior uh, to the draft than Eli Manning standing up on stage saying he didn't want to go to San Diego, or. Mm-hmm all the way back to John Elway saying he didn't want to go to to uh, uh, Indianapolis, or it was Baltimore then, and, and all the rest of it. And lastly, if any of that's true, people in Indianapolis should put up a statue to me because um, they ended up with Peyton Manning. And uh, some, somehow I think that, he led him to a few good things, and, I, and, and I'm reasonably informed that he might even be playing in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a, thank you. You know we're going to break news first on the uh, Paul Grant show. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. How close were the Colts to actually taking Ryan Leaf, in your mind? So, so the point is, is, this is what you'll never know, because in retrospect, um, I look um, like I had no judgment taking Ryan Leaf, who's probably the most troubled client I've ever had, instead of Peyton Manning. But at the time, uh, it was very akin to Drew Bledsoe, Rick Meyer. Rick Meyer was more accomplished mm-hmm. Notre Dame quarterback. Mm-hmm. I was interested in him. I took Drew Bledsoe, same school as Ryan, goes first in the draft and all the rest of it. I cannot get into the heads of Jim Irsay, Bill Polian, and Jim Mora to know exactly what they thought, nor Bobby Beathard. Um, I just described what happened. Right. We're talking to Super Agent Lee Steinberg, who has a great book out, The Agent, My 40-Year Career, Making Deals, and Changing the Game. I, I want to go to Ryan Lee for a moment again. Now, 
have you been in touch with Ryan Leaf at all? We know some of the problems he's had. He's in prison right now, five years serving for drug possession and burglary. Have you been in contact with him at all? Um, he, he actually left our practice back in 2001. Okay. And, uh, but while he was uh, playing, what happened is he went into a shell after having a bad third game of his rookie season, and then he got caught on tape um, mm-hmm. yelling at a reporter. So what happens now is that because of the news cycle, um, you don't just see that incident once. You see it 50 times. And after you've seen it 50 times, you deduce that Ryan Leaf always is yelling at people, and he's out of control. So um, we tried to get him help. He just sort of receded into his shell. And you're referring to that. He was, I believe it was one for 15 in that game against the Chiefs, I believe it was. It was yes, it was a he got game. Wow. sacked a bunch of times, and, and that was it. Yeah, that was it for him. Now, Lee, let's go to you for a moment. As you said earlier that you battle alcoholism, and at this point you're almost four years sober. What is the secret to your sobriety? Working a 12-step program, um, I tried everything, uh, you know, rehabs, and, and, and I was a great student of the uh, brain chemistry. I could tell you all about dysfunctional family. I just couldn't stop drinking. And so, uh, but I've, I've worked a 12-step program with the traditional formula of getting a sponsor and going to some meetings and and um, um, the way I look at it is that if it takes me an hour or an hour and a half a day to do the things that necessary to maintain sobriety and I'm free the other 22 hours a day pretty good mm-hmm. trade <laughs> and, and here's a question I have for you reality a, a big part of sometimes rehab is relapse but as you said you are making a comeback you can't afford a relapse at this point. Does that thought, does that go through your mind as you battle this? Thank God that about three or four months into it, that overwhelming craving desire to drink goes away. And so I don't think anybody gets sober if it was based on the first couple of months because right. the mind is still there. So I won't turn into a cucumber magically from my pickled brain. Um, and this is going to be with me forever, but it's, it can be managed a day at a time. And um, no, so many exciting things are happening. You know, we have our Super Bowl party. Uh, we, we were too late to recruit athletes this year, but but we'll be for it next year. And then I've got this book that's uh, selling very briskly. Um, and uh, so there's too much to do to worry about distraction. Right. And now, as you said, you have been well. You didn't say it, but you have been recertified by the NFLPA. So. You can represent clients in the National Football League again. At this point, how close are you to to securing clients? So we got started uh, uh, late, and um, probably not this year, but I I plan to be active in the basketball draft. I plan to be active in the baseball draft, so it will all come back. We're talking to Super Agent Lee Steinberg, who has a great book out, The Agent, My 40-Year Career Making Deals and changing the game. Now, Lee, as you said, you are the, you are on the comeback trail, and it will come back according to you. 
what would you what is considered successful for you? What would make this comeback successful? Is it certain amount compete. of clients? I, yes, I understand. I can't compete against my former self. No one's going to represent the first pick in the draft eight times again. I wouldn't want that many clients. If I can help one, uh, a select few of athletes and continue on with charitable and community programs and be a good father, it'll be enough. Okay. So it's, it's okay. simple. It's simple, and that's good. That's good. Now, yeah. one big story that you talk about in this book, and obviously Jerry Maguire, a, a big-time movie, was loosely based on you. Now, take us through the story of Show Me the Money. Um. So Cameron Crowe called me up in 1993, the writer-director, said he wanted to do a film based on a sports agent. And he followed me. He followed me to the 93 draft with Drew Bledsoe, came up to uh, the press conference with Parcells, everywhere I went, he went. He went to pro scouting days, to games, to the rest of it. And I told him lots and lots of stories. Specifically, Show Me the Money comes from when I had Tim McDonald at the um, uh, league meetings in 93, and uh, I was showing him off to teams, and uh, Cameron got came up in his hotel room and said, what are you looking for in, in the experience? And Lou Dobbs and Moneyline was on the background, uh, on in the background, so what he said... Tim looks at the screen, says, I want a team to show me some respect. I want a team to show me winning. I want a team to, and Cameron wrote the line, show me the money. Now, one of your clients was also uh, Jim Harbaugh, who turning out to be a big-time coach right now for the 49ers. Did you see Jim as a coach when you were representing him? Well, he comes out of a coach family. His father was a coach. He grew up in football. He's got a brilliant mind. Yes, I sort of did. Okay. And now uh, another story that's kind of making the rounds is the whole Richard Sherman situation, controversy, if you will. Now, as an agent, and if you were advising Richard Sherman, what would you say to him? First, I probably wouldn't have someone who – gave that interview because we look for role model clients. But I think he's a bright Stanford grad. He knew what he was doing. He was going to do something at the end of that game. He understood the national spotlight was on him. Uh, <clears throat> he did the fundamental equivalent of my Lee Cyrus twerking. He grabs center stage. Some people don't like it. Um, he Now he's set up to go to the Super Bowl. And... Um, be part of that 3,000 uh, interviewer group. And uh, and he's taken an obscure uh, defensive back and, and made him the number one topic of discussion. So I think he did well. Um, I've enjoyed being with you. Um, um, uh, someone's here for our, our next okay. discussion today. Okay. So, All right. Well, everybody, the book is The Agent, My 40-Year Career, Making Deals and Changing the Game. The super agent is Lee Steinberg. Lee, pleasure talking to you, sir. Wish you nothing but Thank the best you. of luck. Let's do it again. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Take care. Lee Steinberg, super agent. And Lee Steinberg is looking to make a comeback. Looking to make a comeback. He was a big-time agent for, for many years. As he said, he's represented seven Hall of Fame clients. Had seven Hall of Fame clients. I mean, you know.
Warren Moon was one of his big-time clients, Steve Young, Troy Aikman, to name a few. So he's done it all as an agent, and he's looking to make a comeback and make sure you, you, you go get his book, The Agent, My 40-Year Career, Making Deals and Changing the Game. Now, going back to Richard Sherman now for a moment, and, and Lee Steinberg brought it up. A lot of people are talking about Richard Sherman. A lot of people are, are, are – he's in the minds of a lot of people. And, and here's the funny thing. With at least uh, with uh, Richard Sherman, excuse me, this guy now, his jersey is selling like hotcakes. I mean, Richard Sherman, everybody wants to get a Richard Sherman jersey at this point. I mean, he he's he's being sought after by a lot of people after what he did. He, he's being a lot of people are 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 chasing Richard Sherman. A lot of people are chasing Richard Sherman. A lot of people. Richard Sherman at this point has cracked the top ten best-selling jersey list. You don't think, and I agree with Lee Steinberg, you know, he knew exactly what he was doing. And as I said earlier, this is a part of who Richard Sherman is. He, he is a, this is a part of who he is. Uh, you know, he, he's out there pushing and promoting himself. He's doing what smart people do is brand themselves and taking advantage of, of, of his opportunity. We're talking about Richard Sherman. We have Richard Sherman on our mind, on our brain. Everyone's talking about him. You, do, do you think he actually would, and would, do you think we actually would be talking about Richard Sherman if he didn't do what he did after the game? No. It was like he, he made a heck of a play. But I don't think we're talking about Richard Sherman the way we're talking about him, if he doesn't go and start yelling on Aaron Andrews' mic. If he doesn't start yelling on Aaron Andrews' mic, we don't talk about Richard Sherman the way we're talking about him. We don't. And it's funny. You know, the, the, here's the thing about, you know, the world we live in, sex sells, controversy sells. And Richard Sherman is in a controversy, and now he's selling. His jersey is selling. The brand of Richard Sherman is selling. He's really carving out a nice little niche for himself. If the Seahawks win the Super Bowl, I think expect to see Richard Sherman a lot. Expect to see him a lot. And... Here's the thing about football. We have quarterbacks who sell. I mean, everybody knows the quarterback. Everybody loves the quarterback. You know, we, we love the quarterback. It's a lot easier for them, uh, Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning. It's a lot easier for them to get big-time endorsement deals. A lot easier for them to, to be successful. A lot easier for them to be successful. A lot. In comparison to a corner like Richard Sherman, in comparison to, you know, other positions in national football, offensive linemen, you know, we don't recognize those guys as much as we recognize Richard Sherman. Hello, you're on go for it. You suck! And that caller 
has dropped. We just got a, uh, someone has just cranked us. That's not right. Just got a crank call. Just got a crank call. That's not right. But anyway, idiot. Anyway, Richard Sherman is on our brains. He's on our minds. We probably would be talking about Wes Welker and Aqib Tlaib and that whole play. And uh, people calling it dirty. I didn't think it was dirty. It was a pick play. You know, it was a situation going across the middle. I don't think he intentionally meant to hurt Richard Sherman. I mean, I don't think he intentionally meant to hurt uh, Wes Walker. I don't. You don't go for it. I don't think I don't think that was kind of comical. I don't think he intended to hurt uh, West Walker. I mean, uh, Akeem Talib. Did it help? Sure. Anytime you can get the team's best player out of the game, it helps. Here's the thing: we're not even, you know, we're we're not even talking about the Patriots and the Broncos in that particular football game and what happened in that game and what transpired in that game. You, you look at the game and how funny it was. Like it wasn't funny per se, but you look at the game and you saw in that game. First of all, the weather was perfect for the Denver Broncos. It, it couldn't work out any better for the Broncos. Sunny and sixty in Denver, Colorado. It, it worked out well for them. And first of all, the, the, the Patriots' defense had no answers for Peyton Manning and that offense. And the Patriots' offense really couldn't get it going throughout the course of that game. And it's funny. You, you, you watch that game, and you're saying, you know what, going into that game, obviously Tom Brady is the type of guy who has done a lot with, with a little. He's done a lot with a little. He's always done a lot with a little. And you thought in watching that particular football game that in that game Tom Brady would put up big-time numbers and ultimately the Patriots would score a whole bunch of points, especially with the weather being as perfect as it was. But no, the reason the Broncos won that football game and the reason the Patriots lost is because the Broncos defense did a better job against the Patriot offense than the Patriot defense did against the Broncos offense. And that's the bottom line. Peyton Manning was on point. The weather helped him, but he was on point. He was good. He was very good. Tom Brady, just okay. And because of Tom Brady being just okay, because of all that, because of Tom Brady being just okay and Peyton Manning being very good, if not great, in that game, the Patriots go home and the Broncos move on. And it, it was similar to the Charger-Bronco game where, you know, the, 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 the Broncos were in control throughout the whole game and then – in the end, the, the Chargers made a furious run to make the game competitive, to give them an opportunity to win the game. But when it was all said and done, the Broncos were in control, and ultimately the Broncos were the victor. I mean, going into the fourth quarter, the Broncos were on top 20-3 to and in complete control. Again, Peyton Manning and the, and the Patriots were able to cut it to 26-16, to couldn't get any closer, and ultimately they go home and the Broncos move on. 
It's not what I expected. Obviously, I got championship weekend all wrong. I got it all wrong. I mean, I, I expected the Patriots, and I expected the 49ers to both move on to the Super Bowl. I didn't expect that. I, I didn't expect what I saw. I didn't expect – I mean, I, I expected Peyton Manning to put up big-time numbers, but I expected Tom Brady to also put up big-time numbers. Peyton Manning was 32 for 43, 400 big yards. 400 big yards. He was big-time in that game. And the Broncos were able to move the ball at will. Able to move the ball at will. The second hour, go for it. And in this second hour, when we start the second hour, we're going to be joined by Demetrius Gross, a banshee, so make sure you stick around for that, and also Hall of Famer Willie Rowe. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs, Tom. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you you a bone, man. I was trying to get your your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, (laughs) too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable. Come on now. Come on now. That's all. That's not Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back in the second hour again. We're going to be joined by Demetrius Gross of Banshee, the hit show on Cinemax, and also Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. Let's take a call. Bob, you're on the air. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Before I start, I want to talk about sports. Everybody listening, I just want to say, you know, stay strong. You know, these kids, they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, in this hour, we're going to be joined by Demetrius Gross, a banshee on Cinemax, and also Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. So we're going to be continuing to talk a lot of football, talk a lot of sports, and have fun. And I want to go back to Richard Sherman now and, we know, I know we talked about Richard Sherman a lot in this show, but I want to go back to Richard Sherman and something that he said that was very interesting. He said that the word thug is now code for the N-word. And I thought about that, and it's kind of deep, but I, I thought about it, and I said to myself, he might be on to something. You know, it, we were so quick to call somebody a thug. I mean, uh, you know, Richard Sherman, dreadlocks, bearded up, and he yells, but Richard Sherman is a Stanford graduate, but somehow, some way, he becomes a thug. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how a Stanford grad with, with his credentials can be called a thug. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know how he can be called a thug. You know, it's it's funny. And maybe Richard Sherman is on to something. Maybe thug is code for N-word. Because Richard Sherman's no thug. He just played an, an emotional game. He just played one of the biggest games of his life and made one of the biggest plays of his life on any level. And now we're so quick to say he is a thug. Now, here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. Like, I'm not sure if many people out here really believe that he's a thug, but I think sometimes we, we go on Twitter and, and then see Twitter followers and we, we, we see some Twitter people, uh, you know, saying racial things, things of that nature. But that's, that's just Twitter. Because you you you're, you have an opportunity to, to to touch the stars, the celebrities on some level, and you have an opportunity to respond and say things to them. But I don't. I I think we're kind of giving that group of people a voice. And I do believe, in the case of Richard Sherman, that the word thug is code for N word. I, I do believe that because again. If we pull back the layers, we realize that Richard Sherman is no thug. We we, we realize that Richard Sherman, basically what he was doing was selling himself. He's no thug. And you wonder if somebody else was doing that interview. If it was Kevin Green. Remember Kevin Green? who was, who was wild and, and a maniac and yelled a lot. If Kevin Green did that interview, very emotional guy, will we have called Kevin Green a thug? No, probably not. Um, you know, if uh, I think, you know, if, if Tom Brady was doing that type of interview, will we have called Tom Brady a thug? No, we would not. If, uh, let's see, if, if Peyton Manning was doing that type of interview and yelling like that, would we call Peyton Manning a thug? No, probably not. So why are we calling Richard Sherman a thug? Is it the beard? Is it the dreadlocks? Or basically, is that code for N-word? Is that code for N-word? Is that what you really want to call? I mean, that's, I, I look at that, and I look at the point that he made, and I think it's a fair point. I think it's a very fair point. And I think if, if somebody else, if, if there was a, a, a Caucasian player doing what Richard Sherman did, would we have called that particular player a thug? I don't think we would. We might call him crazy. Might have called him, you know, a maniac. Might have called him a, a very emotional guy. But would we have called him a thug. I don't think we would. And again, as I said earlier in the show, this had nothing to do with race. Race played no part in this whole situation. None. This has nothing to do with race. This was just a situation a highly emotional guy made a big time play and he was celebrating and he was happy about it. And maybe he could have went about it a little differently. Maybe. But he didn't. 
But again, controversy sells. Excuse me, sex sells, controversy sells, tension sells. And guess what? Richard Sherman did all those things. And guess what? He's selling. But let's not call him a thug. He's far from a thug. We've seen thugs. Richard Sherman may have looked may look the part if you're watching TV, watching movies and stuff, and that's what your that's what your only uh, dealings with a thug is. Or you watch the news and you you watch the news and you you see various uh, photos uh, put up there of, of various criminals, and they look a certain type of way and talk a certain type of way and act a certain type of way. You would think you would, and it's more so the way they look. If you watch too much TV sometimes, don't go out there and educate yourself and don't experience various things, then you will be quick to call guys like Richard Sherman, college-educated, college graduate, a thug. Let's switch gears now. We're going to bring in a guy now who is doing big things on Cinemax, on the hit show Banshee, which airs each and every Friday at 10 o'clock Eastern in Pacific, Demetrius Gross. And He's done big things on that show, and that show's putting up some, putting up some big time ratings for Cinemax. And you know that that show comes from the creators of True Blood, so you know maybe there's a good chance that this show is good. Let's bring him in now. One of the stars of the hit show Banshee on Cinemax, the one, the only Demetrius Gross. Demetrius, how are you, man? Good morning, Paul. I'm doing well. It's a sunny day in L.A. That's where I. Definitely. Thanks for joining us. Great. Yeah, good, 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 good to be on the line with you. Now, a lot of great football, and I know you were telling me off the air that you were at a big time party, Forty Nine er Seahawks party. So you were watching that game intently, watching that game closely. Were you surprised by the outcome? I was very surprised. I mean, you you have the Forty Nine ers and you had the Seahawks, and I mean, uh, you know, Pete Carroll's uh, is. I know him as a USC coach, you know, and so for mm-hmm. him to do what he did with that team in, in three seasons is very, very, very impressive. I mean, uh, you know, what was it? it was just last year, I mean, the 49ers were, you know, the team to beat, and they couldn't be beat. So it's like, you know, to see to see that upset like that, and then, oh, my gosh, that uh, the injury in the, in the, was the last quarter on yeah. the goal line, that, that, that was heartbreaking. And that was, right. it was, it was an eventful game. game. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a big-time football game. It was a grudge match and a very physical game. Now, Demetrius, the Super Bowl's a week away. Who do you have in the Super Bowl? Broncos, Seahawks. Tell us. Oh, okay, who am I taking, or do we want to go more specific and say what's going to be the spread? I mean, I, I know who I'm taking. Okay, so you? I know you like the Broncos, but I, I mean, I'm going to go with the Seahawks. All right, so give me give me the score. The quarterback is you, Okay. So you're, you're going with the Seahawks. Now I need a score. Score. I can give you a spread. Okay. The spread. It's going to be a ten point game. Ten point Seahawks game. Ten point game. Peyton Manning. Seahawks against Peyton Manning. Ten point spread in that offense with the Broncos. Yeah, they're a younger team, man. They got younger legs. You know, they got you know. The quarterback is 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 is, is, is a phenom. I mean, what what Seahawks did? They shut down Kaepernick. They completely shut him down. I mean, like they they shut him down. That's an impressive defense, impressive secondary. I mean, he threw he's thrown five interceptions only against that team. 
Right. No, I, yeah, I mean, the, the numbers are impressive, but... So if they can shut down Kaepernick, the question is, could they shut down Peyton Manning? And yes, that's what, you're talking about another animal. You're talking about maybe the best who have yeah. ever done it. Uh-huh. Hall of Famer, no doubt, before he even finished his career, no doubt. But right. I don't know. I'm uh, I'm going to go with the Seahawks, man. But, I mean, only who, who knows? You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game of inches, as they say. You know, and it's a it's a play by play uh, play by play sport. So while I'm going with the Seahawks, I'm actually looking forward to a, a great football game because my my team is really the Washington Redskins. Okay. The uh, okay. the Redskins. So I I'm just interested in seeing a really great football game ultimately. But I think the Seahawks will come out on top. And you, you look at your Redskins and the whole situation RG three and all those issues, man. Oh my god! It had to be a tough year. It's it's hard to be a Redskins fan. Well, like it's like you have to earn it. I have all this paraphernalia. And every I, I tell you, every day I walk out and I'm wearing a Redskins hat, or I'm you know wearing anything gold and burgundy. Like it's I, I, I get it, you know. I get it. I get it from people that I see, you know. So uh, it's, it's challenging. RG three is is um, I think he came back too soon. Um, I agree. Things are like can Shanna can or can Shanna can't, and uh, <laughs> clearly the front office didn't think so. So. We'll see what happens next year. We're, we're, we're a team of next year, the Redskins. Okay. We're always, you know, like, you know, we always have the tools, and it's like, okay, next year we're going to be good. So, take courage. So, you got, you, you got John Gruden's brother, Jay Gruden, that's the new head coach. He did some wonders with Andy Dalton, did a good job with Andy Dalton. So, maybe he can do the same with RG3. I think so. I think they rest RG, man. I, I really like um, – who's that, who's that, who was that backup quarterback? Gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Cousins. Uh, but the guy, cousins. cousins, yeah, cousins. I like what he did in, in the uh, the last quarter of the season. I think you let cousins ride it out. You run Ardry as a second string, uh, as a second string. You know he's got he's got time. There's no need to rush uh, uh, Robert back. You know, like it, it really isn't. I think you see what the season does, what the record's looking like, what he's looking like. You know, uh, huddle to huddle and. Uh, in practice, and then bring him back if we look like we can be a real contender. I think you pull a Derrick Rose with him and just really let him sit out the whole season so that in 2015, 2016, he's, he's, he's rocking and in, in, in top shape. So you're I, saying I, you, I want RG, you, that? you want RG3 to sit down the whole entire season? I want him to practice the whole season. I want to see what our what our season looks like, like mid-regular season, what our records are looking like, and then – Depending upon you know us, us being when are honest, honest with ourselves, our front office being honest with themselves when they when they you know if they think we can really we can make it to to the playoffs, then you you start pushing them in. I mean, he practices every practice. You know, they're doing a one-two. They're doing like a uh, you know a Sanchez Tebow kind of thing in practice. I think, but I think you give Cousins the start, and then you let RG three come in if it's if we're a real contender. If not, you rest him so that when he comes back, he's he's stronger and is. I mean, it's a lot to come back from the kind of injuries he's come that he's he's been dealing right. with, like, you know. So I, I, I don't think it'll happen. <laughs> I, I don't think it'll happen. I don't think it'll happen. But I understand where you're coming from. I, I just don't think it'll happen. I mean, yeah. he is the face of the franchise, and I think one of the reasons he rushed back because he was one of the faces of the franchise. But I think another reason is I think he he didn't really want to lose his job to Kirk Cousins. I thought that was a part of it. And I just think, you know, the marketing and PR machine, you know, he had the documentary. He had all these different things 
all about him coming back and playing that first game. And to your point, you said he came back too soon. I agree. I thought he came back too soon. I thought he maybe should have sat out the first month, if not the first two months of the season, because he just he didn't seem right and he just wasn't healthy. That's right. I mean, you know, in football you play one game a week. What do you have? Like uh, sometimes you have a two-a-day practice, but, you know, it – it takes time, man. That, that, that stuff is wearing and tearing on your body. Like, as, as, there's no sport like football. Like, you For know, sure. maybe rugby, but there's no sport like football that <laughs> those guys go through on, on a day-to-day basis. Um, we see them in, in top flight, and after time, a lot of those guys are playing injured. Like, my, my eye always goes off to football players. I, I play basketball. Uh, I play competitive basketball, but football is, I mean, I just tip my hat to those guys. Like, it's is one of those things you really want to be in top form to play the game at an elite level. So, I, I think I think we I think we we sit him and 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 to your point, like I don't even think that that's him losing his job to Kirk Cousins. I think that's kind of like you know if they look at it more like a sidekick situation, you know. Okay. Um, it's similar to what they did in, in Philly when they had um when they had when they were when they were playing uh, uh Black Mike 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 Vick. You saw yeah you saw playing, okay McNabb and yeah. Yeah, when they were kind of doing that thing, and it was like you know whoever was whoever was was sharp and that week was gonna was gonna get the start. I think that's what you do. That way, you never put anybody in a position where um, a, a little competition is good. You know what I'm saying? A little competition yeah. is good. Um, for sure, for sure. And, healthy competition. And you're a big time basketball guy, and you're from DC, so I'm assuming John Wall and the Wizards. You're riding with that at this point. The Wizards look like they to. will make the playoffs. I got you. So that's a I good thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good thing. You can probably hear the smile in my voice. Yeah, like I'm, I'm really proud of those guys. You know, like uh, when I was back home, I was in home for the holidays, and my brother and I went to a basketball game, and it was it was the first time that that we um, that we got a win. You know what I mean? I've seen a lot of Wizards games. Usually, we go people leave the, leave the, um, the gym with their head down. It was kind of good to, to see that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and your Wizards right now, although they're in the Eastern Conference, and the Eastern Conference is a little weak, but they're the fifth yeah. seed in the playoffs if the playoffs were to start today. But right, we'll we got to play Miami, and we got to you know we got we got <laughs> we got some serious teams in the East, and so who sure. knows what happens during the playoffs? But it's just kind of a, a huge step for that for our team to you know to be there. Uh, That's a huge step. I, I think it means a lot for the, for the future. Like. You know, my, my DC teams are, are team uh, are teams of uh, a lot of promise of teams of next year. You know, and uh, we'll reclaim our swagger. We will reclaim our our '90s swagger. Okay. Okay. Late '80s or early '90s swagger. We will. <laughs> We're talking to one of the stars of Banshee, Demetrius Gross, which airs on Cinemax each and every Friday, 10 o'clock Eastern and Pacific time. Now on Banshee, this big time show, you play Deputy Emmett Yawners. Tell us about this character. Well, it's uh, it's kind of funny. I'm uh, I'm an ex uh, Penn State running back, and I was talking to a friend of mine who was asking me, "What was the significance of uh, of them naming you Emmett? What is, you know, what, what and, and what's your last name?" I was like, "Giannis." I, was like, I don't know. I guess you know the writers might have might have wrote my last name as a joke, but I know there's a lot of significance to the name Emmett. And uh, you know, my character is a, a it's kind of a moral backbone of this of the story. Uh, Banshee uh, takes place in a in a town where uh, it's very dangerous. You know, it's the, they say it's the place that when you go, you you can't get out of. It's kind of like uh, it's like Las Vegas. You know, it's but like turned up to like the Mickey Tarantino 
era. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 uh it's one of those kinds of towns and um uh Emmett is pretty much like the last of the Mohicans, so to speak. He's the last like one of the last upstanding um, you know, morally sound characters. Um and so I think the writers and writing my character really just uh wanted to wanted to allude to things, you know, people like Emmett Smith, but also maybe even the people like Emmett Till and you know, that's okay. not a very common name, Emmett, you know. Right. And uh so that that's what, what hooked me into the character was was uh you know, just the Emmett the Emmets that are on the forefront of American consciousness and, 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 and what they what they mean and how I can infuse that into my, my character and therefore infuse that into the the overall story. Now this is the second season of Banshee on Cinemax, so you guys are doing some big things with this show. For those who are new to the show, what can they expect? Well, they can definitely expect a lot of uh a lot of fights. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of uh you know close ups and you you'll see you'll see us actually doing doing our fights you won't you know see cutaways and looking at backs of people and stunt doubles uh the 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 stunts are, are performed by us the, the 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 cast so if you guys are into that sort of thing you're gonna love that you're gonna love uh the m m a uh element of the of the show uh and ironically it's actually a love story so um the Lucas Hood character is it comes to Banshee basically looking to to reclaim his long lost lost love, uh, Carrie Hopewell. And uh there's a healthy bit of comedy, there's some irony. Uh, for instance my character is a is a real sheriff in the town. Lucas Hood uh sort of assumes the identity of a sheriff. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of sort of comedic irony, uh that we we don't really know who this guy is. In fact a, a lot of the blogs and on websites and stuff people are saying that wait, we're in season two and we still don't even know Lucas Hood's real name. So um, there's a little bit of something for everybody. There's a family story. There's a, it's a cop show. It's, uh, like I said, there's a lot of a lot of um, action. So we've been doing well. I mean, we're the number three right. show in Europe, and uh, we've been getting the highest ratings ever on Cinemax. Last year we won uh, Cinemax's first Emmy. So the show has been doing very well. Now, this is like we said, this is the second season of this show, and the creators of True Blood are behind this particular show. When you read this script, did you know that this was going to be something special? I did for that very reason, just the fact that we 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 paradigm uh, small town America, but then we blow it out and we have all these issues that so many different people can relate to, um, from uh, from a love story to uh, the Amish culture. This season, we go into uh, the Native American presence a little deeper. That's that's in this town. Um, my character's in an interracial relationship. Uh, I have, my character has a baby. Uh, there's, there's just so many elements that, that are very practical and tangible to everyday people. But then you have, um, this kind of hyper, hyper reality, uh, you know, where this guy's as an ex-con and a master thief and they do these, you know, high wire heists, you know, uh, and, and and so it, while the action the action or the action of the drama can be very uh, colloquial, uh, it's still somehow very heightened in terms of um, when we when we kind of zoom out and we look at this Lucas Hood character and then the the, uh, the KGB presence with the rabbit and, and the villains and you know it, it's it's got a little something there for everybody. So I did I did think it would it would do well, and that's what really attracted attracted me to to do the project. 
We're talking to one of the stars of Banshee, Demetrius Gross, which airs on Cinemax each and every Friday, 10 o'clock Eastern and Pacific. I'm now... Not only are you doing big things with Banshee, but you're also on a Golden Globe-nominated film, Saving Mr. Banks. How exciting is it to be a part of that great project? It's a good time, man. It's a good time. I got to play a Pullman Porter in the 1960s uh, at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And uh, it was, uh, you know, I'm working with our Oscar-nominated director, and Johnny Lee Hancock and uh, Emma Thompson, you know, Tom Hanks, I got a chance to chat with Tom Hanks the other day. Uh, he sent us all umbrellas, uh, huh? apropos, you know, because of the whole Mary Poppins thing. And uh, so we were at a tea party, and I just, I said, hey, man, thanks for the umbrella. And, and from there, I mean, he was just very warm. And, and it, it's nice to it's nice to be in that fold. And it's and more than that, it's, um, it's good to be able to represent um, a, a character who represents uh, – uh, an entire group of people. I mean, who, and uh, the Pullman Porters uh, under A. Philip Randolph were were hugely, um, uh, a, a hugely effectual uh, in in making the March on Washington happen. Uh, so even for in a, in a slice of life to be able to put an element like that in a in a huge film like Saving Mr. Banks, it was is very humbling um, and, and irreverent. So. Uh, it, it's just it's a good time, and um, and I think the film is going to do well. It, it speaks to to a lot of like 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 Banshee speaks to a lot of different stories. I mean, it essentially is a is a father father daughter story, but it's also about holding on to a dream and, and seeing it through to fruition. So it's uh, it's a good story. So I want to switch gears now because I was reading your bio and something popped out at me. You make a healthy. Fried chicken and, and that's Don't talk. that speaks wow. to me. <laughs> tell me about it. Oh, tell tell you about that. I mean, it's, it's yeah. oxymoronic. I mean, it's really not necessarily a healthy food, but anything you cook, <laughs> you can you can you know use organic ingredients and you know <laughs> make it better. You know, so you don't necessarily you make it healthy. Per se. I mean, I, I use I use grapeseed oil and, uh, and okay. And organic flour and try to use free range chicken, but it's not, you know, it's still fragile and it's still cliche. Okay. 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 <laughs> it's now, still fried chicken, it's still cliche. Okay. All right. As long as it's still fried chicken, as long as it's somewhat healthy, right? Somewhat. I mean, yeah, it's healthier than, you know, say Popeyes. <laughs> it's not as good as Popeyes. Okay. Okay. And I love it, too. I love when people come over and I make it because, you know, people try to act like they don't like it. Like, people try to act like they don't eat fried chicken. But you know what? Everybody eats fried chicken. Right. That's, that's real. I mean, like, any and, any and everybody. You know, you might be able to bend the vegetarian's uh, mindset, actually, if it smells good enough, if you use, use the right spices. For sure. You know, <laughs> enough paprika. You have a, a vegan one or some of that, you know. So you're a guy now. I mean, you have you make healthy fried chicken, and at one point, oh, is that, that going to be like my thing now? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is that you going to remember me, Paul? You gonna, <laughs> I am. I am healthy fried chicken. When we hang out, then. All right, cool. <laughs> now I heard that you wanted to be a veterinarian, and at one point in your life, you were a dog groomer. Tell us about that. Who, who are your sources, Paul? No, I, uh, I definitely, I definitely have, have a love for animals. Do you love animals too? Uh, I like them. <laughs> you, do you have any? 
<laughs> I have a dog. Yeah, I have a uh, yeah, miniature poodle. Yeah, now that the, um, they're just a to me, animals always represent innocence, you know. So, uh, you know, being an artist, I, I decided not to be a starving artist. I wanted to keep a job, so I was working kennels and right. stuff like that, you know. And uh, that graduated into working at a dog optometrist, which graduated into working as a groomer, and so that's how I was able to keep afloat uh, in the wild west. Okay. Um, as I as I went job to job, you know. Gotta eat. You gotta eat. Got to. Why why not doing <laughs> doing it with something that you love and, and with you know sure. that makes you feel good. So that was my I didn't want to I not want to be too cliche and just be a waiter. So I, I decided to not that being a waiter is cliche, I shouldn't say that, but it's it's kinda like what people do who are, you know, in right. the arts, whether mm-hmm. they're in dance or whether in the music or acting or whatever. Uh, you know, you'd be a waiter, but I was like I kinda did that but I wasn't very good at it, so Okay. I decided to, to lean on something that I had a particular interest in, and that's animal. So not only are you making healthy fried chicken, not only do you groom dogs, <laughs> not only do you act, but you still find time to do some things in the community. Talk about that. I would say uh, to give is to receive, you know. And so if, uh, if you're in a position where you're just receiving, then you're actually losing. So. I try, to find, I try to put myself in positions where, where I can, if, if nothing else, share knowledge and, and, and share myself and my story with people to inspire them. So I, um, as I have uh, talked to a lot of the children in schools and, and, and done workshops in various places in North Carolina um, and Pittsburgh, uh, a little bit in L.A. with uh, the Young Storytellers Foundation, um, doing, doing uh, you know, doing things that allow kids to be creative. Um, and encouraging them to do that uh, at risk. And some kids who are not at risk, uh, kids who just need a little, a little push. Uh, we, we've been really, um, really fortunate to work with the Young Storytellers Foundation out here in LA and uh, doing what they call a big show. You have, you have kids uh, write screenplays and you mentor them for about like a month. And then at the end of the month, they get up and do a, do a, a performance of their scripts. Uh, with like professional actors and uh, they have pizza and it's just good. I mean, how how could you not love doing something like that? Like it's just sure. it's so good. You you get it's funny because people people you know get feathers in their caps for doing uh, philanthropic stuff, you know, or doing charity stuff or doing mentorship stuff. But really, you you get so much more than you get really. Like uh, it's it's incredible. Uh, it's a gift to even know that there's value there. I think. Um, because once you once you share your time just free of 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 cynicism or reward, you realize how uh how many things you get back that are that are just intangible. You couldn't you couldn't put a price tag on it, just you know, a look in a kid's eyes or or, or you look up and a kid starts following you on Twitter and they're sharing with you the stuff that they're up to and and, and you've built that kind of just really pure relationship. It's a, it's awesome. So uh, that's one of the things that I try to do as much as possible. Also, as I was on YouTube, I, I saw, I, I think I saw a young Floyd Mayweather out there uh, doing some work on, on the pad. Tell, tell us about that. Uh, that was specifically for uh, for my show uh, this season in Banshee. We're gonna we're gonna delve into. The Emmett Yarner's character a little bit more, a lot more actually, and uh, 
So in lieu of, of some of the stuff we, uh, we're going to expose this year, I had to train, Paul. I had to, you know, I got the best year of my life thus far. It was, uh, it was incredible. <laughs> Working with um, uh, ex-Navy SEAL cat, this uh, black ops cat, like these guys. Our stunt team was first class, literally. Like they were, um, you know, twenty degree black belts and all of this and that. And like, you know, they they were very keen on making sure everything uh, was authentic and uh, that we weren't cutting corners or holding punches, so to speak. You know, and so uh, you probably saw us in the dojo uh, one day out of many, just. Uh, doing combinations and whatnot, so that when you know when we're all set, when it, and when when the red lights on, so to speak, uh, you know it's, it's go time and uh, injuries are minimized and uh, you know entertainment is maximized. So you have Banshee, you have Saving Mr. Banks. What other logs do you have in the fire? Uh, we had a really beautiful little slice of life film that uh, won Sundance last year called This Is Martin Bonner that's about to get. Uh, Domestic distribution. Uh, the director Chad Hardigan. Um, I'm also um, in lieu for a new pilot uh, called Complications. It's uh, being shot on the USA Network, uh, and um, my own project. You know, I'm I'm reproducing a feature film, so little things like that. You know, here and there. I won't talk about it too much because you know sometimes when you put when you talk about it too much, it, uh, you lose a little bit of the power. I, I kind of I'm kind of more re- result oriented than to okay. to blow my own horn, so to speak. You are in the results business, and at this point, there are some results out there for you doing some big things right now. Where can fans find information about some of the great things going on with Demetrius Gross? Google. <laughs> Google. <laughs> Google, Google, and Twitter. Follow me on Twitter too. I mean, I plug things in, and uh, let people know uh, whether it be uh, a philanthropic talent show in Calexico, or whether it be um, a big show with the um, with the uh, with the uh, the group, the youth group I work with. Um, uh, or, or, or if it's just like behind the scenes stuff or a film that may be premiering or a TV show, I, I put stuff on my Twitter. So uh, that's an awesome way. Demetrius Gross. Okay. At Demetrius Fans. Gross. Yeah. yeah. Fans support some of the great things going on with Demetrius Gross. Make sure you check him out each and every Friday on Cinemax, 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. The show is Banshee. The actor is Demetrius Gross. Demetrius, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you the best of luck. Let's do this again. Actor Demetrius Gross, make sure you check him out each and every Friday on Cinemax's Banshee, 10 o'clock Eastern and Pacific on Cinemax. As we lead up to the Super Bowl, one of the big talks is about the weather and what the weather will be, whether it be snowy, cold, or what are we going to have. And at this point, I'm on Weather Channel checking it out. And, um, you know, at this point, obviously a polar vortex is supposed to come back to the New York area. But at this point, there is a possibility that 
the temperatures could be in the 40s for the Super Bowl, but we could see a, a freezing rain or some type of sleet possibly as we watch the game on Super Bowl Sunday. So that's the possibility as we lead up to the game. And I always feel this and, and feel this way when it comes to Super Bowl. I, I believe the conditions should be perfect. I mean, a dome or whether it's, I mean, obviously the only way you can make conditions perfect is to have a dome in a dome. But either in a dome or in a warm, uh, warm weather city. And I just think that when it comes to this type of game, elements should not play a role. And I know elements are a part of football. Elements are a big part of football. But I don't believe elements should play a role in, in, in deciding a football game. And when you have a situation where you have cold and, and, and possible snow and sleet and things of that nature, that affects a game. That, that, that changes things. Within a football game, I, I point to um, I point to uh, the Eagles Lions game this this year where you know snow fell and, and it hurt the offenses. But I thought in that particular football game that it hurt the Lions more because the Lions were a team that you know had uh, Calvin Johnson, David Tron, and you know Reggie Bush actually got hurt in warmups uh, during that game. I believe he slipped on snow or something of that nature. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is I thought the Eagles. I thought the game would have been a little different if the Lions were a completely healthy, not a completely healthy team. If the, they were healthy, but the Lions, well, other than Reggie Bush, they were healthy. But if the weather would have cooperated a little more, I thought the Lions would have had a better chance. And I just think, you know, even with the situation of Peyton Manning, I mean, and his uh, record in cold weather games, I mean, this is a guy, you know, in sub-40 games, sub-40 degree games, playoff games, this guy's own four. And that's four touchdowns and nine interceptions. And he's on four. So when the temperature gets a little low, Peyton Manning's stats get a little low. And, and I think when it comes to the Super Bowl, it's, everything should be perfect. You, you have all the pomp. You have all the circumstance. You have all the, the performances and, and, and things of that nature. When it comes to that type of game, it should be perfect. With all that being said, I hope that it snows. I hope that it's freezing rain, sleep, or what have you, because I, I, I think it's, it, it's compelling. I think it adds to the game. I think it's intriguing. But, I, I mean, ideally, if, if, if I were Roger Goodell, if I were uh, the head of the NFL, the owners, things of that nature, I would not want a Super Bowl in a cold-weather city. I, I, I don't think it's something that we should do because I just think that type of game should be as perfect as possible. No other things other than what happens on the field and between the two teams and should affect it. There shouldn't be any outside elements that can or, or, or possibly could affect the football game. That's where I feel when it comes to the Super Bowl. And, and I think ultimately we'll see what happens. I know it's going to be cold and we'll see if it's sub 40. If it's sub 40, you have to say the numbers tell you that the Seahawks uh, will have an, uh, an advantage on some level because uh, Peyton Manning and the cold and also because of the way both of these teams are built. The, the Broncos are predicated on offense or, or throwing the ball down the field and just throwing the ball around, not necessarily down the field, but just throwing the ball all around. Seattle, conversely, is predicated on beast mode, Marshawn Lynch, and then Marshawn Lynch running the ball and defense. Richard Sherman, that big secondary, Legion of, uh, Legion of uh, Boom. And that front seven that Seattle has, a heck of a defense in Seattle. A heck of a defense in Seattle. And that's one of the reasons Seattle is here in the Super Bowl. 
And honestly, even when I say that, I thought the 49ers, and I picked the 49ers, I thought the 49ers. I came away from that game thinking the 49ers were the better football team. That's just me coming away. That's just my thought coming away from the game. I just thought they had more weapons on the offensive side of the ball, and I thought their defense was just as good, if not better. You know, but Russell Wilson made some plays. I mean, that big play on the fourth and the fourth and two, where he hit Jermaine Curse for the touchdown, a big touchdown in that particular spot. And you know, he just made a lot of plays in that particular game. He made a lot of football plays. He made plays when he needed to make make plays. Um, and Kaepernick, I mean, he did a lot of things with his feet as well as with his arm, but more with his feet, just as much with his feet as he did with his arm in that particular game. But, you know, Russell Wilson made the plays, and that Seattle defense made the play, and ultimately Richard Sherman made the biggest play, where he batted the ball away and ultimately led to an interception and ultimately led to the Seahawks' victory. But I believe that the Super Bowl, and I do believe the Super Bowl should be played minus elements, and I do believe that the 49ers were the better football team, but it is what it is. Seattle is here. Denver is here. And these are the two, you know, arguably the two best teams out there. I do believe 49ers are better than the Seahawks, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. The Seahawks made the plays. And they made enough plays. And now the Seahawks are playing the Denver Broncos in this Super Bowl. And, and this also comes down to an old argument, old school, new school type of situation, running quarter, scrambling quarterback against the pocket passer. And I think that dynamic is going to be talked about and focused on this week. I mean, Russell Wilson, part of the new school, Peyton Manning, part of the old school, the, the, the drop-back pocket passer. And we know that, you know, Kaepernick, Russell Wilson, RT3, you know, Michael Vick, you know, a lot of, there's, there are a few scrambling quarterbacks out here, and quote-unquote scrambling quarterbacks, because at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers, he can move, he can get around in the pocket, out of the pocket, he can do his thing. You know, so, I mean, Here's the thing. This old school, new school thing, this pocket passer versus scrambling quarterback dynamic idea, belief, you know, we, we look at that in all those games between, you know, we look at that and we look at that dynamic. And the notion out here is that you need a pocket passer to win in this league. The, the scrambling quarterback, you don't necessarily need Pocket passers is what wins in this league. Joe Flacco, who won last year, pocket passer. Eli, who won the year before that, pocket passer. So we're saying that the pocket passer is what wins in this league. And I'm not saying, ultimately, here's the bottom line when it comes to this whole argument. Here is the bottom line. At the end of the day, whether you're a pocket passer or a scrambling quarterback, at the end of the day, you have to be able to, to make plays with your arm. You have to be able to stand in there at times and make the big time throw. You gotta be able to stand in there and be able to get the fall, get the ball down the field. That's what you have to be able to do, whether you're a pocket passer or a scrambling quarterback. That's the bottom line of this argument. But I mean it, it's it's you're gonna have that talk of you know what really wins the National Football League. Pocket passer or the scrambling quarterback, you know, and at the end of the day, as I said, whether you're good with your feet or not, 
you have to be able to get the ball down the field. That's the bottom line of it all. You have to be able to get the ball down the field. I want to go to Josh Brent now for a moment. Um, as you know, came down yesterday. Well, the verdict came down a couple days ago, and but the sentencing came down yesterday. And ultimately, Josh Brent was given 180 days in jail and probation for 10 years. So, Josh Brent now, with, with this particular sentence, he has an opportunity. He could have gotten at least 20 years. But he has an opportunity now to get his life in order. He has an opportunity to get his life in order. He was convicted of intoxication manslaughter. Ultimately, his sentence, again, 180 days in prison, $10,000 fine, 10 years probation. And <clears throat> I followed this case, and in watching this case and in following this case, obviously Josh Brennan is guilty. There's no doubt about that. But one of the things that was, was compelling and, and what had me thinking a lot when I was looking at this case was Jerry Brown's mother. And Jerry Brown's mother and her, her ability, because it takes some ability, to forgive Josh Brent. I mean, forgiveness is it's an ability. It, 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 it takes some kind of ability. It takes a special person sometimes to forgive the person responsible for the death of your son. And, and no mother, no father wants to see their kid go before them. None. But Josh Brent and Jerry Brown were best friends. They, they, were, they played together at the University of Illinois. So these guys were friends. These guys knew each other for a very long time. They were friends. They were boys. They were boys. So the reality is if Jerry Brown's mother can come out now and, and say she forgives him and, and she would like leniency, she doesn't want to see him do a whole bunch of time, if that's what she calls for, then I think whatever she calls for is what should happen. And because, again, there is no greater victim than the mother of Jerry Brown. That's her baby. That's her baby boy who died. And this is Josh Brent. I mean, obviously, he was guilty as they come. I mean, according to the prosecutors, I mean, this guy, the night of the death of Jerry Brown, the night of the accident, he had consumed 17 drinks. Big man, obviously, 320 pounds, but 17 drinks is 17 drinks. And he consumed 17 drinks. And obviously he was, he was flagrant. Obviously he was negligent. Obviously he was guilty. And this is a guy who, before, back in 2009, had a uh, DUI conviction. So he's no stranger to DUIs. And I look at that, and, and a lot of people look at that and say, at this point, they should come down hard on him because of the past and prior conviction. And I say, you know, if Jerry Brown's mother was, was calling for that, and, and Jerry Brown's mother felt like, you know, they should throw the book at Josh Prince, then the book should have been thrown at Josh Prince. But because, again, because of, of how forgiven she was and, and 
you know, here's the thing. Jerry, Josh Brandon will never, ever, ever, no matter how, whether he spent 10 days or 20 days or, or 20 years in prison, he'll never forget what happened on that particular day. That is something that will follow him for the rest of his life. That is something that will haunt him for the rest of his life. So no matter what happens in life, whether he was in jail or whether he was at home, he will never forget what happened on that day and what he did. He'll never forget it. So he, he's already in a mental prison from that standpoint. You know what I mean? He's already in prison from that standpoint. He lost his best friend. This is his best friend. This is his boy. This is college teammate. His friend from college. This was his guy. This was his best friend. So he'll, he'll never, ever forget what happened on that day. Never. We'll never forget it. So I look at this situation. Some people believe 180 days, 10 years probation is lenient. I don't. I, I, I don't think so in this particular case. I think it's almost a perfect sentence. And to me, if you, if you are not going to give prison time to the boy in Texas, remember the teenage boy who, uh, who they said suffered from the term, suffered from the condition of fluenza for being affluent, being spoiled. But if that guy, if that particular boy can get no jail time for driving drunk and killing four people, then I don't know how people can, can, can argue for Josh Brandt to get any more than he got. You know, <clears throat> I know a lot of situations in Texas, uh, a lot of people have gotten probation. I believe 34 cases in Texas where probation was given to those with uh, vehicular manslaughter. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people believe, okay, if, if you're not going to come down hard on these people, then this is going to continue to happen. But here's the bottom line. You know, they're already in a mental prison. A lot of those people are, unless you're, you're, you're out of conscience, unless you're sick, you have or, or suffering. You, you're, 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 you're suffering. You can't get those images out of your mind. You can't get what you did out of your mind. There's no way you can. No way. No way. No way. You know, I just hope at this point that Josh Friend, so this is the second chance as far as I'm concerned. You can argue it's a third chance because you already, you already, you already was convicted in 2009 for, for uh, DWI. But you hope now that Josh Friend will take this opportunity to ultimately stay away from alcohol because it hasn't really done him any good, that he will learn from this, and that he ultimately will become a better person from this. And maybe, maybe, I mean, he's still young, what, 26 years old, 26, 25 years old, maybe he'll still, 25 years old he is, maybe he'll still have an opportunity now to ultimately be able to play football. And I don't think... Obviously, I don't think that's on his mind at this point, and it shouldn't be because he did retire. So this really shouldn't be on playing football again. Really shouldn't be on the mind of Josh Frank. I mean, I don't think that's on that shouldn't be on his mind at this point in time. Getting right, getting sober, and, and becoming a better better person should be what's on his mind at this point. But if he can if he can get himself straight, guy with decent talent, if he can get himself straight, maybe he can get another opportunity at playing in the National Football League. Maybe. 
And I'm a, I'm all about second chances for people. I, I believe in second chances. I do believe in second chances, sometimes even third chances. Because people are flawed. People come. You're born to make mistakes. And that's the reality of it because you're not perfect. So when you're not perfect, you're going to make mistakes. So <clears throat> you hope again. Josh Brandt can change. We hope that Josh Brandt can become a better person. And I think this sentence gives him an opportunity at that. I think this sentence gives him an opportunity to become a better person. Because more often than not, we're, we're, we're convicting and putting away young people, and we're not giving them an opportunity to become better people. This gives Josh Brandt an opportunity to become a better person. This gives Josh Brandt an opportunity to change, and change is good, and hopefully Josh Frank will take advantage of this opportunity and change, because I do believe this sentence is perfect. I believe this sentence gives him an opportunity to change his ways, and there's nothing wrong with second, third chance, there's nothing wrong with change. Change will do you good. Let's stick in the NFL now. Um, the Cleveland Browns have finally found the coach, Mike Pett Jr., uh, finally found the coach, and this was a job that essentially no one wanted. Josh McDaniels withdrew, uh, Gaines from the Broncos withdrew the offense coordinator. I mean, people have withdrawn from this job. No one wanted this job. And after what happened to Rob Chizinski, I don't know if you would want this job either. I mean, obviously, there's 32 of these jobs, I meaning 32. Uh, coaches in the National Football League. So there's only 32 of these jobs. So that tells you something when, when people are running away from this Browns job. People don't want to have this Browns job. People don't want it. People don't want it. A lot of people have ran from this job. This is an NFL job. This is a job. This is a job that only 32 people have in this world. 32 people only have. There's only 32 coaches in the National Football League. And you have coaches withdrawing their name. You have coaches who don't want to be interviewed by the Browns. You have that. That tells you something about that Brown job. And, and Mike Pence Jr., I mean, what makes him better than what makes him better than Rob Chudinski? What 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 makes him any better than Rob Chudinski? What what does? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the Bills defense. You saw that Bills defense. Uh, was it any good last year? No, really wasn't. I mean, here here's the following people who. You had withdrawn. You had Josh McDaniels. You had Todd Bowles. So obviously, you know, especially as an African American, who would love to be a coach in the National Football League, you know, and he removed his name. Adam Gates, defensive offensive coordinator for the Broncos. I mean, these people are removing their names, removing their remove their name from this job. That tells you something. <coughs> That tells you something. Bill O'Brien wanted no part of it. You know, these, these guys don't 
want any part of it. Because they've seen what happened to Rob Chizinski. And uh, Rob Chizinski, I'm not saying he was a perfect coach, but he went through three different quarterbacks, and his quarterback was playing well before injury, Brian Hoyer. I mean, the Browns were playing some good football at that point in the season before Hoyer went down with the ACL. And then it fell apart. I mean, Brandon Whedon, the quarterback he inherited from the old regime, he wasn't that good. Jason Campbell was okay, but at the end of the day, none of these guys were really that good. Weren't really that good at all. Got a few moments left, and we're going to bring in a guy now for the final few moments of the show. Let's bring him in, Hall of Famer, Willie Rowe. Willie. Yes, I'm here. How are you? Good. Real quickly now, Willie, we we, we saw uh, what happened this week in those games, the uh, NFC and AFC title game. We both got our picks wrong. I mean, we both picked the Patriots, and we both picked the 49ers, ultimately the Seahawks, and the Broncos came out on top. Your thoughts on what you saw? Let's start with the Broncos and uh, Patriots. Your thoughts on what you saw in that game? Um, you, you, what, what we did say, we said that uh, if, if one of them was going to be an upset, it was going to probably be the 49ers more so than, than the uh, Patriots. But uh, I, I just didn't think they would go out and dominate. Uh, uh, Peyton Manning and uh, those guys controlled the game, and, and the defense did a real good job and controlled the game really from start to finish and, and uh, did, did an excellent job. Uh, and the Patriots really weren't, weren't in the game the whole time. So my hat's off to Peyton Manning for going out there and uh, and Denver and really playing an playing, uh, excellent football game in that AFC Championship game. And it was. It was, it was. it was just easy the way the Broncos were able to move the ball down the field against the Patriots. And you thought Tom Brady and the Patriots offense would be a little more effective. But I, And I saw that game, and I'm saying at this point, this is when Tom Brady finally needs Weapons, and you saw what you can do when you have weapons, a la Peyton Manning, Demarius Thomas, Wes Welker, Julius Thomas, all those weapons that he had. Conversely, you have Peyton Man- uh, Tom Brady, who Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, Aaron Dobson, you don't have your tight ends. Saw the difference in talent, I think, in terms of what Peyton Manning is working with and in terms of what Tom Brady is working with. But, 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 but to, to that point, though, those guys have been stepping up and those guys have been playing well, uh, you know, it just, it just, you know, when you play a superior team and and, and uh, the Buckles, D. Lyman, especially the big guy they got from Jacksonville, 94, had a real big game. And, uh, you know, like you said, they they kind of controlled them up front. And, and like I said, I mean, but to his credit, Tom Brady did have an outstanding, I, I think, his final year. But what he had to work with, what he was able, what he was able to do, what they were, what what the team was able to do to get to the AFC Championship. I mean, with the injuries they had, they really did maximize the potential of that team. It just you know they ran into a better team. And, and uh, looking at the Super Bowl, do you think Seattle have enough offensively, and do they have enough defensively to stop? Uh, 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 the, the Broncos. What, what, well, I, mean, I, I think we got to first the weather. I think 
what, what we're going to see weather-wise so will, I think, determine how this football game could go. And obviously, the numbers over the years say Peyton Manning is not as good in, in sub-40-degree weather than he is in plus-40-degree weather, especially in the playoffs. So I look at that, but I think Seattle, in terms of cold weather, Seattle is built to play in cold weather in terms of what they do with the defensive side of the ball, in terms of what they do with the run game with Marshawn Lynch, all that. I think Seattle is better prepared to win this type of game, a cold weather game. And defensively, yeah, I think they could, I think they could slow time. It's, it's, it's not going to be raining. Well, it might be. Well, there's a possibility. It could be a, a snow shower. It's a possibility. So you tell me right now, you like Seattle? No, as I speak right now, I like the Broncos. As, those, as I speak right now. Uh, I, I, I think Peyton Manning's going to miss. I did pick Denver at the beginning of the season in Atlanta. I did pick Denver in Atlanta, and Atlanta fell apart, but I did pick Denver after last year, uh, getting on to the AFC Championship game, similar to what they did in 97 before they made those ones in, in, uh, in, 90, I mean in 97 and 98, in 96 when they did get beaten and they went on the run. And uh, I just, I mean, Peyton Manning, the way they look, um, they have to, I mean, I understand what you're saying about the weapons uh, with the weather, but uh, if it's clear, and when Manning figures things out, it gets going, I mean, I mean he'll pick you apart. Whereas, whereas Seattle struggles some, it's the other team, um, I just think it's, I think it's a big stage, and, and uh, we'll see. But, but I, I mean, I'm like you, I just think, that Denver's on a mission this year, and uh, Peyton's going after, you know, he needs to get another ring for his legacy. I think he comes back and plays another year, but I think he really needs to get this ring this year, you know, so he gets two and people get off some, you know, where he goes down in the history of uh, quarterbacks. And, and, you know, right now, you know, his legacy, everybody's talking about he can't do it in a big game. So I really think Peyton has something to prove. Now, let's go to, I want to get your take before we get off. I want to get your take on Richard Sherman in that whole situation. I believe it was much to do about nothing. I believe it was a situation of guy coming off the field, highly emotional, highly charged. I mean, made one of the biggest plays of his life. And, you know, a lot of times we want people to tell the truth, and then when they tell the truth, we don't like it when they tell the truth. So I think, you know, it's, you know, it's hypocritical. I just think... Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's just much to do about nothing. Your thoughts on Richard Sherman? Same, same thing. Richard Sherman is a very, very intelligent young man. He knows what he's doing. Uh, Richard Sherman is an excellent football player. And I mean, it's, it's part of marketing. It's, it's, the, it's the, you know, the modern day guy. I mean, he was excited after the game. He played a great, an excellent game. He made a great play to help win the game. Uh, obviously, the situation that has some history between him and Crabtree um, that I guess he felt disrespected in off season or whenever they saw each other in Arizona. But I mean, he's a hell of a football player, and um, you know, I mean, it's all about marketing. I mean, I'm pretty sure the NFL doesn't like it, but uh, I mean, he set this up up to uh, get a very, very, very good contract because he is one of the top you know, two or three DBs, if not the top DB in the National Football League right now. And, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a very charismatic guy. So, I mean, um, 
he, he, he got to a real good career, and like I said, the kid, the kid is very smart. He knows what he's doing. And it's all about branding. It's all about, you know, making your – it's about your brand. And he did a great job with his brand this week. It helped his brand. And everybody's talking about him, which is good for his brand. So, I mean, it, it, it like I said, it's really – and the racial angle of it, I think that's a little silly as well. I didn't see anything in terms and, of race. And he had a commercial on the next week, Paul, with the headphones. With right. everybody by a block, right after that, he had a, he had a commercial on. Yeah, so it, it, it's really much to do about nothing. And, you know, it is what it is. Willie, pleasure talking to you, man. Let's do it again. Nice talking to you, too. And uh, I'll be, maybe I get to see you. I'll be headed up to New York next week. I won't go to the game, but uh, I will be in that. I will be leaving uh, Southern California to, to see how the weather is, and uh, and I will see exactly how cold it is. I mean, if it's in the 20s, 30s, uh, which is project, projected to be next week, next weekend, uh, I don't think that's going to be anything that they're not used to practicing in Seattle and Denver. I mean, they've both been playing in Denver's practicing in that type of weather right now. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting to see what what the Seattle can do, you know, uh, to slow down the old older the old team, the old man. So we'll, we'll see you, you versus experience in this game, and we'll see what comes out on top. Well, you better you better make sure you got your coat, your hat, some gloves because I'm on the East Coast and it's cold, very cold, very cold. So you you better come prepared uh, when you come right. to this East Coast. I will make sure I get some sweaters. I will make sure I'm prepared. You can't can't you can't have the shorts or any of that. You're gonna have to come very prepared. No flip flops, no shorts and flip flops. Uh, uh, you got a guy to put on the tent. <laughs> All right, Paul. All right, Willie. The great Willie Rowe. You can listen to this show and other shows at BlockTalkRadio.com. You can listen to another show that you can listen to this show and other shows at blogtalkradio.com, where you can hear this show and other great shows. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at go for it can For everybody here at go for it, we hope you have a great week. See you later. Take care. Bye. <laughs>